Good morning and welcome to an early morning Wednesday edition of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, and uh, I'm very, very pleased that you've decided to drop in today and uh, listen in uh, for the exciting conclusion, if you will, of uh, the Judas epidemic. We have been reading the Judas epidemic from front to back, and uh, the book can be found anywhere books are sold. You All you got to do is go to Amazon.com, basically, and, and uh, you can find a copy of the book. Uh, new, used, uh, it, it sells as an ebook. all kinds of options for you, print on demand. So uh, I encourage you to go out and get a copy of the book if you, uh, if you enjoyed the reading of this. And uh, keep it in your personal library, and you'll be able to refer to it in the future uh, for uh, consistent, concise, uh, biblical, scriptural information as to uh, uh, a lot of the apostate doctrine and heresy, uh, heretical doctrine that's uh, present in the church and is being adopted by the government, and uh, it's just as dangerous to us as it can be. Uh, and uh, I've detailed that in this book. So we're going to continue with our reading today of the Judas Epidemic, Chapter 10, The Prosperity Doctrine. Dear reader, as you have read through the first nine chapters of the Judas Epidemic, you have hopefully discovered for yourself the many evil lies that have been promulgated and utilized against humanity by the ultimate hater of mankind, Satan. These lies have ranged from the overt theosophy and New Age thought to the covert religious and governmental conspiracies, all designed to destroy our faith in the one true and holy God, the creator of us all, and our only hope of salvation. I had not originally intended to dedicate a chapter to the uh, heretical false doctrine that we are about to discuss, but I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to write about it, and so I must. The Prosperity Doctrine, also known as Health and Wealth, Word of Faith, Positive Confession, or Name It and Claim It, is, in my opinion as repulsive and repugnant as heretical doctrines come, and its teachings and teachers should be exposed for what they truly are. This false doctrine has become one of the biggest money-making schemes of all of history, and its proponents are becoming extremely overabundant for obvious reasons. This false teaching has allowed a rather large number of self-proclaimed representatives of God to become wealthy beyond ridiculous measure, and they have done it at the expense of many people that can't even afford to live above a poverty level. Yet, they continue to obfuscate the real truth of the gospel concerning money and wealth in order to support their own lifestyles of opulence, while at the same time knowing that the multitudes that are making them rich are sinking deeper into impoverished living, losing their faith in God, and in some cases... Uh, and some extreme instances committing suicide because of their perception 
that God has forsaken them by not fulfilling the promises that these heretics have told them that God has made to them. For these reasons alone, it is necessary that I write this chapter. I believe that all Christians should know the real truth about what God says in his word about wealth and what he really wants for us. And just for the record, you won't hear the truth from someone who has acquired several mansions or a fleet of jet aircraft at your expense. It wouldn't allow them to continue in the lifestyle that your generous giving has made them accustomed to. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, spoke plainly and pointedly about wealth in his word. He taught about the lust for monetary wealth and its eventual outcome. But most of all, he taught his disciples and the multitudes what wealth really was. He taught that real wealth, the wealth that only he could provide, could not be attained here on earth. That's right. Christ taught that true wealth could not be found in the accrual of earthly things like money and property and so on. He taught that all those material earthly things are only temporary and that they eventually go away. They cease to exist at some point. We see Jesus saying this very thing in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Quote, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." Unquote. Jesus was telling his disciples here that earthly material wealth was going to disappear at some point in time, that it was only temporary because of its earthliness. Jesus told his disciples that they should focus on heavenly wealth, the wealth that he would bestow on them in heaven when their earthly lives were over. But why? Because heavenly wealth is eternal and therefore far better and more glorious a wealth than could even be imagined here on earth. I think that when we see many of these televangelists accruing mass material wealth, it conflicts with what Jesus actually taught, don't you? In all fairness, Jesus did not actually condemn material wealth. Obviously, he blessed Abraham and Job with an abundance of material wealth. Jesus did, however, condemn the pursuit of material wealth when it became a priority for a man overdoing God's will. This is plainly what Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, when he said, quote, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Unquote. What Jesus was teaching here is that there is such a thing as spiritual double vision that can cause mankind to believe that we can serve two different masters. Total loyalty to God means that we cannot divide our loyalty between him and our material possessions. We cannot be totally dedicated to God's will if our focus is on our pursuit of worldly wealth. Jesus was teaching 
that the pursuit of worldly wealth was an obstacle to completely and totally serving him, and that the pursuit of wealth would be something that would literally enslave us, not permitting devotion to him and him alone. God wants a human heart totally devoted to him, and that cannot happen even uh, if it is even partially devoted to the pursuit of financial gain. Jesus said that, quote, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, unquote. Pretty clearly put, if you ask me. It seems that many of these teachers of the prosperity doctrine are acquiring more and more properties, expanding their financial empires, and increasing their worldly wealth by begging for your support under the pretense that they are trying to help you become wealthy when it is really only them that seem to be getting wealthier. Funny how it seems to work that way. So, with that said, if we see these people consistently getting wealthier materially, wouldn't it be safe to assume that they are serving the almighty dollar instead of the almighty God? Think about that. The most obvious disparity between the Bible and the prosperity doctrine is this. Jesus taught that it is God who always gives first and then expects us to give back a portion of what he has blessed us with. The prosperity doctrine teaches that we should give first and then expect God to reward our giving with even greater riches in return. It, uh, does this sound scriptural, like sound scriptural doctrine? Absolutely not. As proof of this, let me ask you a question. What did you have to contribute first in order for Christ to pay for your sins on the cross of Calvary? Did you have to give a tithe or an offering of some kind before Christ would give up his life for you? Of course you didn't. You didn't have to give anything to God before he gave his son as a payment for your sin. God gave his son first. Now he desires that you give your heart and soul to him in return. If the prosperity doctrine were true, you would have had to ante up with something before God could give you any kind of blessing, much less the redemption of your sinful heart and soul and the gift of eternal life with him. Just think, God gave you the opportunity to spend eternity with him in heaven. You couldn't ask for a more valuable blessing than that, and it didn't cost you a dime for the opportunity that he gave you through his grace. It doesn't really sound like the prosperity doctrine would apply in this most important case, does it? Well, of course it doesn't. The false basis that these prosperity doctrine heretics use is usually just bits and pieces of scripture cut and pasted together in a twisted fashion in order to get you to believe what they want you to believe instead of what God wants you to know. The scriptures that they use are mostly from the books of Malachi in the Old Testament and Mark in the New Testament. The Old Testament reference is found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, which states, quote, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Unquote. This Old Testament reference was a direct statement to the nation of Israel by God, 
who was rebuking them for not obeying his commandment regarding the tithe, which was at that time Hebrew law. Remember, dear Christian, that Old Testament law was for the Jews. The law was set forth by God as a way for the Jews of the Old Testament to prove their devotion to and their faith in God. The Jews had begun to disobey the law regarding the tithe, which was instituted by God as a way to sustain the nation of Israel financially and care for the people. But here is what the prosperity doctrine heretics won't tell you. It can be found just a few verses before Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, in verses 6 through 9, which state, quote, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Unquote. God was chiding the Israelites for not tithing, which was one of his commandments to them. The payment of tithes was a recognition of their being subject to God, a recognition that God was the one who had blessed them with everything that they had. So, withholding the tithe was considered by God as an attempt to defraud him or to hold back what was rightfully his according to the law. Those that teach the prosperity doctrine failed to teach that the blessings mentioned in verse 10 would not come because God had received his due portion, but because in adhering to the law and giving the tithe, this would put believers in the proper place of obedience to God and in subjection to him and his will. So, when we as Christians give, it should be because we want to obey God, not because we expect multiplied riches to return to us because we gave. Let's look at the New Testament reference widely used by teachers of the prosperity doctrine as the basis for their fraudulent extraction of your money. The scripture they use most often is found in Mark chapter 10, verse 30, which says, quote, But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life, unquote. This Bible verse is one of the most commonly used by prosperity doctrine heretics to separate you from your money. They claim that this verse states that if you give your money in whatever amount to them, that God will bless your gift by a hundred times. So they say, if you give $10, God will return 1,000 to you. A gift of a hundred will ensure that God will give you 10,000 in return, and they quote Mark 10.30 as the authority for this claim. I have one question, though. Why don't they tell you about the last part of that verse that says, with persecutions? I guess they don't want to scare you away from giving your hard-earned money to them, 
by suggesting that life as a Christian may also involve persecution too. That bit of information may not pad their pockets as well, I guess. Uh, oh yes, one other thing that they conveniently leave out of their message is what the verse previous to Mark 10:30 says. And at Mark chapter 10, verse 29, and I quote, And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, or the gospels. Unquote. This verse quotes Jesus as saying that anyone who sacrifices his or her most precious assets for his sake, or the gospel's sake, shall receive a hundredfold of what he or she left behind. When these false teachers promise you that you will receive a hundredfold return on your donation or gift, how often do they mention that you should do it for the sake of the gospel or for Jesus' sake? Not very often, if at all. They are enticing you to give based upon a false conception that you will receive far greater sums of money than you gave initially. Folks, this is called giving with expectation of return. And that would mean that you are giving for your own sake, not for the sake of Christ or the gospel. Dear Christian, the prosperity gospel is not the gospel of Christ at all. It is a man-centered, not a Christ-centered gospel. And that makes it a false gospel. Maybe these false teachers of the prosperity doctrine are not aware of what Jesus said about those who pursued worldly wealth at any cost. In Mark chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, it says, and I quote, And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, unquote. The prevalent thought of that day was that people that were wealthy had to be in God's favor, that God was abundantly blessing them. And that sounds suspiciously familiar to what the prosperity doctrine heretics are saying today. But Jesus was telling the disciples that this was not the case at all. Jesus told his followers that those who trust in riches more than they trust in him would find it impossible to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus told his followers that it was a loyalty issue. It's a choice. Either, tr either you trust in God or you trust in what the world has to offer. There is no compromise with God. Many of these heretics claim that Jesus himself was rich. I see nothing in Scripture that supports this claim, especially when Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, quote, And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head, unquote. It surely does not indicate that Jesus was wealthy in this verse, does it? He spent the majority of his earthly ministry walking from place to place. He wasn't chauffeured in one of his fleet of chariots, was he? And his earthly family wasn't very rich either, so he could not have inherited any wealth there. No, no, Jesus was not wealthy, and he didn't care much to try and pursue wealth either. 
Jesus was content to live daily, just doing the will of his father. So as man's ultimate example, Jesus did not pursue wealth, according to the scriptures. In fact, he told his disciples that when they pray, they should ask only for their daily bread. <clears throat> Excuse me. This connotes that what Jesus was telling them was that they should not ask for more than what they needed on a daily basis to survive. If this is the case, then why should we be expecting more of God than he told his disciples to pray for? The answer is, quite simply, we should not. Yet, if you listen to these who espouse the prosperity doctrine, they will have you expecting things of God that you ought not to expect. God acts in accordance with his own will, not in accordance with ours. This might be a good time to remind uh, heretical teachers of the prosperity doctrine of what Jesus thought of those that would turn his house, the church, into a marketplace where money and lust for it was the prime motivator. We find in Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 and 13, that Jesus overturned the money changers' temple, uh, tables and drove them out of the temple, saying, quote, And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Unquote. Jesus clearly was angry that the Levitical priesthood had begun to sell doves for sacrifice, which was a practice unacceptable to him. God's house should be a place of worship, not a marketplace where the making of money is paramount. Yet, many churches and televangelistic ministries are million-dollar-making enterprises that seem more interested and focused on the dollar than on what its preeminent focus should be on, Jesus Christ. And I am certain that he's not happy about it. Just read Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches, and you'll find out what God thinks about the church of today. In closing, I'd like to point out a couple of specific dangers that the prosperity doctrine brings to the table. First, it reinvents what the true nature of giving should be, according to the Bible. Giving should be a selfless, charitable act done out of love for and obedience to Christ not done out of selfish, greedy lusts for our own wealth. Second, it virtually clears the church to actually embrace the love of money and to actively seek out ways to make more of it, which causes the church to lose its focus on the worship of God and instead focus on the love of money, which is the root of all evil, according to God's word in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Thirdly, the prosperity doctrine can cause the average Christian to forget what his or her true relationship to Christ should be. Instead of living to do God's will, the average Christian may begin to think that God should be striving to meet his or her lustful, worldly wants and desires. Thinking like that is completely adverse to what God teaches us in his word, but that is what this distortion of the scriptures, this heretical teaching, can do to damage the body of Christ. 
Those who end up embracing this false doctrine and do not see the promises that these heretics say that God has promised them will come to pass will more than likely lose their faith and leave the church, and some may decide to end their own lives when they've invested everything they've based upon this lie that has been so cleverly introduced to them. Those that teach this false doctrine should be ashamed of themselves, but sadly, they are not. Their judgment is clouded by the thick fog of greed and filthy lucre, and their collective conscience is seared with a hot iron. They care for nothing but what they have really placed their faith and trust in, the world and all its monetary pleasures. That is where their treasure is, along with their hearts. They care nothing about you, dear Christian. I beg of you, do not be deceived by them. Pray for the wisdom of God to direct all of your giving and let the Holy Spirit guide your giving, not the twisted lies of greedy heretics. Ladies and gentlemen, that ends this half-hour session of the Christian Underground News Network. We are reading the Judas Epidemic Exposing the Betrayal of the Christian Faith in Church and Government. We will return in a few moments to begin Chapter 11, entitled, Almost Persuaded. See you soon.